Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is the Selling Soul Podcast. I'm Andrew Millen. It's episode 64, and my guest on the show today will be, once again, singer-songwriter Paul Heaton. I introduced Paul last week as a man who has never hidden behind the door when it comes to talking about politics and social issues, and also spoke about his CV of work and his hit records, which is vast, from the House Mountains to the beautiful South, to his solo career and to his reunion with Jackie Abbott in recent years. But I think if anything came out of last week's first part of the conversation, it has to be, he's just an ordinary bloke. It was brilliant to hear him speak about going on tour the first time at the House Mountains and then coming home and looking in the mirror and thinking, I'm not little Paul anymore. What did he do? He joined his football team again and he went down the pub. Absolutely brilliant and you're going to love the second part. Thank you very much to Brian Browning and all the staff and management at Odd Molly's in Drogheda. Thank you very much for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Don't forget pop into Odd Molly's for your morning coffee or your afternoon tea while we wait for the renovated beer garden to open where we can hear some real live music again. So folks, don't forget, get your coffee local. Don't be supporting these big mega coffee shops. And if you're a Celtic-minded business, a Celtic supporters club, and you like what we're doing with the podcast and across our independent fan media platforms, and you'd like to sponsor an episode or sponsor the fanzine, please email us info at celticfanzine.com or you can contact us through the website or on social media. All our podcasts and content are free. We don't put anything behind a paywall or we don't do a Patreon. So if you can't afford to support us, you can do so by visiting celticfanzine.com where you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate for the price of a pint or a coffee. Your support helps us to continue to produce quality independent fan journalism, fanzines, podcasts, video content and free fan events. Keep the comments and suggestions coming in for guests, folks. And here's a few comments we received since last week when we chatted to Paul. 
Brilliant podcast by Andrew Millen and Paul Heaton. Everything from politics to football and music discussed. Can't wait to see Paul and Jackie Abbott live again later in the year. Really looking forward to a few points at Celtic AM in the coming months. And that comes in from Robert Hines. Thanks, Hinesy, and thanks for your contribution. Absolutely fantastic podcast. Well done to Andrew Millen. Paul Heaton is a working class hero, a true socialist and a legend in the music scene. His politics is also spot on. Looking forward to getting a few beers and listening to the second part. And that comes in from Connor. That was another really good interview. It's great getting names with a socially conscious outlook onto the podcast and a sense of humour. P.S. Manny from the Stone Roses would be another good one. And that comes in from Stephen Hatch, a Liverpool fan from Drada, living in Manchester. What a tremendous listen this is. He's fascinating, humble and a great songwriter. And he's some great stories too. And that comes out with my friends at the Shamrock Fanzine. I saw Paul with the House Martins in the Sir George Roby pub in Finchley Park in 1986. I can still remember things he said to the audience as if it was yesterday. I'd seen them supporting Belmongen, the Hammersmith Odium. It was clear they had something special to say. And that comes in from Isaac Newell. And Isaac, I missed the George Roby and we had a few little words uh, and messages on Twitter on Saturday. I didn't know it was closed. I didn't know it was now a hotel. What a venue. I remember going to the Scar Festivals there in the late 80s and the early 90s. And I even nipped up to the Finchby Tavern beside it to watch Ireland and Romania back in 1990 in the World Cup when Packy Bonner saved that penalty. So thanks for bringing back those memories. And finally, brilliant Andrew, another great podcast. Thank you for this, Kieran Bell. And thank you, Kieran, for your continued support. Well, what a mad week it's been for football in general and also for Celtic. The disappointment of losing the Rangers. A late goal saved our blushes by substitute Lee Griffiths in Aberdeen on Wednesday night. But I kind of struggling when I hear people saying, oh, it's a nothing game and it's this game and it's that game. It's Celtic. If every team that wasn't top of the table decided, I'm not going to see my team because it's a nothing game. We can't win or we can't get relegated. Sorry, it's not a nothing game. Every time you pull on the hoops, you're representing us, you're representing a community. Who wouldn't want to get on a bus and head to Aberdeen for a few points with your mates and watch a game of football? Win, lose or draw. What there for the good times and what there for the bad times. Coming down that road from Aberdeen, yeah, you're disappointed. You would have been disappointed. Happy that we, we got the draw, maybe. But you're disappointed because of the way the season's gone. But you'd be having a few beers with your mates. Bit of a sing-song. The old chant would go up. Get the Rebs on driver. Get the cargo out of the boot. It's all about champagne and winning. Don't think it should be. Should be best supporting the team. We now have Gary Neville coming out. And the other Sky pundits coming out. And after 16 or 17 years, they've realised that the Man United fans were screwed by the Glaciers. Come on, boys. If Sky Sports were shown this Super League, it'd be all on board and all getting your few bob. Come on. This is only the start of this. They're only testing the water. You wait for panicked. These boys are looking for a bigger slice of the cake. Did the new format of the Champions League do any favours for the Welsh League, the Irish League, the Scottish League? No, it didn't. It's carving it up for all the big boys in the big leagues. And the sooner the better, we wake up and smell the coffee because these boys ain't going away. The money that's flooded in over the last couple of decades into the Premier League and the bigger leagues in Europe. They're not putting it in for nothing. They don't love the club. But fair play to all the fans who did revolt. Fair fucking play to you. After last week, I don't think Paul Heaton needs much of an introduction. So if you're at home, put the kettle on, make a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, open the fridge or grab a beer or a cold cider, sit down and enjoy. Paul, just back to football. Um, Italian football. Are you a bit of an expert on it? I was 
Uh, yeah, I mean, over this over a decade or so, I was. I, I tend to spread it more thinly now. I know quite a bit about Dutch football at the moment. I, I sort of go around Europe, sort of holding interest. But yeah, modern Italian football, I know very little about. I think uh, the game in Italy has suffered a little bit through lack of money, as it has in lots of different places, you know. But yeah, I, I did know a lot between, say, the season. 87, 88 to 97, 98. I knew most of the players and the, the tactics, the managers, the grounds, etc. You know, the supporters, the different supporters groups. And yeah, I knew quite a bit. Yeah, because someone was, it was, I met one of the lads yesterday. He said, Who's next in the podcast? And I said, Hopefully, Paul Heaton. I says, But I don't know him personally. So he, he no. may not. He, he may pull out, you know. And he was going, He said, Make sure you ask me about Italian football. He said, He used, he used to know a lot about Italian football. So, there you go, Kieran. I've asked. Well, that came also from I, I'm I'm a, a absolute uh, I don't know what you'd call it uh, attackerphobe. I, I I don't like Italian attacking football much. I don't like uh, I don't know if you know much about Bielsification. Bielsification is what's happened in places where Marcelo Bielsa has gone, and the game's got quicker and quicker and quicker, and also teams that are influenced by. Bielsa, like uh, or managers, sorry, like Klopp, etc., Guardiola, have got the game going faster and faster and faster. And I cannot watch some Premier League matches now. I just cannot watch them because, and this isn't um, this isn't sort of like sour grapes. This is when I just watch a game like Liverpool Villa or I think the Liverpool Leeds match. It is just like watching pinball to me. It is just so fast and so ridiculous. That is, I was one of the first people who said Liverpool this season are going to be absolutely spent because they're playing a, a, an, in, an intensity that isn't survivable. And that's what's happened traditionally to Bielsa's teams uh, and teams who have gone along that process of, of quickening the game and quickening the... If you look, uh, uh, you know... Um, Trent Arnold at Liverpool. I know he's had a couple of games recently, but there was a period during mid to latter season where he looked like a spent force, and it wasn't physically; it was mentally. He looked drained as well, and I think he's he's correctly taken a bit of time off England. It was good that England gave him a rest or dropped him or however you want to look at it. And I think uh, now there's the chance that he'll get a, a little bit of a spring back in his step. But the, yeah, so the delight for me on the pitch playing, and I only played. Uh, to sort of top flight amateur and never played semi-pro. Played top flight amateur, you know, Yorkshire County and stuff like that. It was deli- My delight was purely spoiling it for good attacking players. I loved stopping them in their tracks. I loved sliding in and taking the ball and the legs away from them. Not in a dirty way. I loved them diving against me as well. If there's anybody doing a bit of play acting, I don't like play acting, but I like diving. And the distinguish between play acting and diving is somebody diving. If they were good at it, I would congratulate them. That's fantastic. Mate. <laughs> if they were bad at it, I'd just say, look, you're wasting time. But play acting, I didn't like. You know, uh, rolling around and screaming, etc., etc. But diving, no problem. So to me, when I watched the Italians, when I watched Baresi and Bagomi, etc., etc., and then when I went to watch them in... 2000 and it was Nesta and Cannavaro. It was just, oh, just uh, incredible. Incredible to watch these players 
And at the time, in the sort of late 80s, early 90s, Italy had three, you had three stranieri, you know, three foreigners. And they would pick, inevitably, the best three strikers for each side in the world. But they would be up against Italian defenders. And that was just, you know, so it would be Van Basten um, and Hullet against Ferry and Carnavali, uh, or Vierka, or Sampdoria. So there would be this fantastic collision almost a collision of societies, you know, like the, the, the Italians very, very rarely sell one of their defenders. You very rarely see them leave their league. And so you would get, especially at the time, they would never leave the league. You would get these colossus defenders against the best attackers in the world. And it made, uh, you know, it, it made for, I, I, I love that sort of football. I love to see a close game, uh, you know, a close 1-0 game or a 0-0 game or a 1-1. It doesn't matter. I, I like to see a game. What I don't like to say is players being rushed and pressed and the higher press is getting re- higher. As players get fitter, which they will do, fitter and fitter, your press is getting tighter and the the the, 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 the amount of room you have to play the game is getting smaller and that, that worries me, you know. Yeah, the, the last time we had someone on talking about Italian football was was we had Nemo Rossi on, who's a he has an Italian restaurant in Glasgow, but he grew up in Naples. And when Maradona died, we we got a fan on to talk about him, and that was the last time. And uh, yeah. he he, but he was just he 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 said that when Maradona came to Italy, you know what he done for Napoli in that league, yeah, uh, you know to to take them from nowhere to champions, and you know and. Yeah. He, he he just said like one man, you know this is one man. We're talking about all these defenders in Apple. Maradona could could orchestrate any defense. Yeah, you I know? said before, by the way, I said Ferry and Carnavale. I meant Ferry and Mandalini, who were the centre backs at Inter. But Carnavale was instrumental in that Maradona side. And yeah, Maradona was one of the few players I've seen live uh, a couple of times who could sort of strike fear into. A, a stadium like the San Siro, you know, like the whole ground would be, oh, uh, yeah, you have to see it to believe it. They hated him. They hated him because he was the one player who could destroy an Italian defence single handedly, uh, which was incredible to watch, absolutely amazing to watch. So, yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was a great period for for the sport, in my in my opinion. Um, and, and different leagues have different times don't they and, and different uh, eras when they're fantastic and uh, you'd have to say the English Premier League is going through a, uh, certainly with the club football is going through a really positive stage at the, at the moment but um, as I said there's a real danger with the game getting too quick for me yeah you say there but you know different different countries having their time there's no doubt there's going to be a European Super League of something because money's going yeah. to dictate that and they want all the big clubs to play each other and I look at Celtic and like well, well apart from this season, but well, you know, we're there, we're either the best or the second best in Scotland in, yeah. in many years since since yeah. you know, since since we kinda had it. We we, we barren years in the nineties, but since we came back, we you know, we've been we've been there or thereabouts. But when we go into Europe, when when we play and it, it doesn't feel that long ago that when we were playing under Martin O'Neill in Europe, we were competing with the Juventuses. We were competing, you know, we could beat any of the big teams yeah. on our day, but now like under Brendan Rodgers, you know, we were getting whipped yeah. by Barcelona, whipped by PSG. We gave a good, we like good results against Man City. Yeah. But the gap now, and we're a big yeah. club, Paul, but the gap is massive. You know, yeah, both financially yeah. and and, and as, as yeah. player wise, 
if the Italian football is going to come back, it'll be a couple of clubs and it'll be through this new Champions League or, or whatever they're going to do. And that, that's what's great because you, you're talking amateur football, Italian football. You've, you've, you've a wonderful knowledge of um, the game. Yeah, well, I, I spend a long time looking at it. I, you know, like I write down different players. Nearly every day I'm looking at, uh, you know, League Two and League One players and uh, S Division, which is the second division in um, in Holland. I look at players, you know, Volendam and stuff like that. And so I spend a long time. <laughs> and, and I've got three daughters. So uh, although they, they like football, um, they don't, I can't them as long as, as I'd like to about football. They've got other interests other than football. But the first thing I did with all of them was take them to the local. Nearest to us is probably Man United. So I took them to Stockport because, you know, Man United is quite difficult to get tickets for. So I took them to Stockport and we went to uh, Bury and Rochdale and stuff like that. And so we, we watched Stockport for a bit and then Stockport went down all the divisions and now I take them to Sheffield United, but then we're starting to go down the division, so we'll see. We'll see about that. Yeah, well, football and, and music, Paul, to me, you know, it's it's a marriage made in heaven. And especially when you announce your tours, we, we check the fixtures to see whether yeah. Belfast, yeah. Dublin or Glasgow. And sometimes we can get we can get all three. And there's, there's a group of us go. But like as I said, look at the fixtures. And I think the last gig in Glasgow was Friday night. We're playing Saturday and we're going, you know, 20 past four flight, you know, or we can get the half two flight. So we're on the flight in the hotel bar before the gig and you know, all our mates from Glasgow come in. So like there's a community, there's a few Rovers boys there because there is a few little groups of uh, football fans from different clubs that follow Celtic yeah. as well. Yeah. And they've all come because the gig is on as well. Take the gig in, take the match in. You know, it's a perfect weekend, you know, a couple yeah. of beers and, People say, oh, you know, how can you be bothered getting up at that time? Because we used to run a bus to Glasgow, getting up at that time in the morning and coming back. And this is, it's brilliant, you know, because we're not just getting on a bus and not talking or not listening to music or not having a crack or not having a few beers. It's just, and I think, although the game has, you know, at the high ends has has changed completely and the money that's in it, but it's still, it's still the sport of the walking class, Paul. It still is. Well, I think one of, like several seasons ago, and it's happened in the past, people have said, oh, yeah, you must want to get up into the premiership. And I've always, always said, no, I don't. Right? And I'm not just saying that this season, but I've said it for a long time. And the reason is, a few reasons, really. One, I don't particularly like going to places, with all due respect, say Arsenal away, brand new stadium, can't really get much atmosphere. And I, I, you know, that, I'm saying that as somebody who enjoyed the atmosphere other Arsenal, you know, games and, and grounds, etc. Same with West Ham. I went to the old ground. Millwall, I went to the old ground. So I've been to these grounds. But now those teams are in the, you know, big league and got new stadiums. I think a lot of the atmosphere is drained out. So somebody was arguing with me last night. Well, not arguing, but, you know, said to me, uh, as a Leeds fan, you know, saying, oh, you're looking forward to playing Peterborough away and uh, then going down to League One. I said, you know, I said, yeah, I actually am. The only time I've been to uh, London Road, isn't it, Peterborough? It was snowed off and I got all the way to Peterborough. So, yes, I am. I, I take delight in going to a place like Peterborough, finding out a bit, going a bit early, you know, 
going to the club shop, getting something stupid like a lighter or, you know, like just, yeah, I'd rather do that than be ferried around by the police everywhere. So I think all the, all the leagues below, I, I don't think you've got the problem in Scotland there because there's always new teams coming up, you know, or, or going down, you know, you, you might be gaining hearts but losing hips or you'll gain, uh, you know, lose Dundee and gain Dundee United and Motherwell and Livingstone, et cetera, et cetera. There's these smaller grounds to go to. The only time I've been to see Celtic was away at Partick Thistle. Um, and I loved that ground. You know, well, that's I, the big Glasgow derby. That's the that's the historic of Glasgow derby because unfortunately the other team died across the city. Now they've come back as a new team, and in nine years they've been doing quite well, Paul. But you know, yeah, Matt isn't a strong point because you know they think one equals fifty-five. But look, we, we, we won't go into that with you. But you know what I mean? Is that that's not a part of Glasgow that I would normally go to, and yet. You know, I've come to Glasgow 20, 30 times and then I've gone to a Partick Thistle match and then suddenly you see a different part of Glasgow, you know, like, so going to all sorts of grounds instead of just the posh ones and the big ones gives you a part of the cities and part of the country that you don't normally go to. And and so, yeah, obviously, I'll be happy to see Sheffield United, whatever league they played in, you know, like, I love them. I love them as a club. It doesn't matter to me what, what size ground is. It's a bit of a disadvantage when the ground is full and it's full of people who don't normally support you. You know, you don't have that at Celtic because Celtic have got a massive support. You don't get people suddenly starting liking Celtic just because they're near the top of the league or whatever. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a season. I look forward to I think relegation is a bit like, uh, you know, when you turn a, another birthday and like you think it's coming like, oh, God, I'm going to be 50. And then once you're 50, you're thinking, ah, it's all right, isn't it? So you get the new fixtures out and everybody's laughing because you're playing Wickham. And then you think, actually, hang on. I think I'd rather go to Wickham and have a laugh and go to the pubs near the ground than I would go to Anfield and get stuff for nil. And suddenly you start thinking, you know, your expectations change, don't they? So, yeah, we'll see. Well, it has been a tough season for Sheffield United. Oh, and it's, yeah. it, it, but it's funny, it's been even tougher for us at Celtic and we finished second. It's, it's all relative, isn't it, with you? I mean, I don't think it would have been as tough a season if Aberdeen had been running away with it. You know, I think the fact that the 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 other team have, have won the league and they've done it well, I have to say, they've got some great, great... I love Ryan Kent. Uh, there's a few players I like that have come up through and Gerrard's getting them to play good football. But I don't think, I think Lennon was never going to survive Rangers winning the league. Not a chance. I don't think there's a, many Celtic managers who would survive that. No. Not for, certainly not for um, longer than one season. No, it's just, it's just, it was just such a historic season this year as well. And like, yeah, look, yeah. I can't give them any credit because I'm, I just can't, right? And, uh, yeah, no, I don't expect you to. But they've won and, if we had the one, we'd be giving them pelters. So we'll just have to get over it. We had a great run, Paul. I, I, I was talking to a guy in the podcast last week, Jackie Meaton. He lives in Canada now. And Jackie had seen the first nine in a row. Yeah. And he'd, he'd been to a European final. Right. And when I started following Celtic in the late 80s, they were good. And then we had you know, all them barren years in the 90s. Yeah. And when, when, when we won, we won one cup. You know, open from 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 eighty nine to ninety five, we won the cup, and then we didn't win the league till ninety eight when we stopped Rangers doing ten in a row. But yeah. I can't believe when I think back then 
that I've witnessed nine in a row and I've been to a yeah. European final, you yeah. know, because it's just, it's kind of dream stuff. Like when, as a fan, nothing beats Paul, like a European away day. And like you say, go to these grounds. Like I remember going to Tbilisi in the Czech Republic. Right. I never heard of it. And you go yeah. to this ground and it's snowing. And again, it's, it's, it's an old stadium and it's just yeah. magic. Like, you know, and then and I speak to some of the older boys that went to East Europe for games before communism fell and like stories they have of these grounds and you know just unbelievable like the way days are just yeah it's geography and history I think one of the reasons I'm not prejudiced is the first thing I'm not bothered about the colour of somebody's skin or or their religion or whatever wherever I go I ask them you know you know if they like football and I talk to them about football, what's your side and who do you hate and et cetera, et cetera. And this applies to, you know, when you go to Turkey or Bulgaria or wherever I've been. Uh, and if they don't like football, I'll start talking to them about, some, you know, some sport connected. Um, and I think to travel, as, uh, as we know after this last year, is one of the great privileges of, uh, you know, the modern world. And to travel and watch the football team you love and with a... Uh, a group of lads and lasses you're you're keen on is an even greater greater privilege. But yeah, I, I I I'm weirdly enough I like going to Europe on on holiday. I don't go too far and I, I don't go out of Europe. But um, I prefer just travelling England, watching the Blades. I'm not sure if I'd like to go away in Europe with Sheffield United. I think um, it can be any England side who who um, qualified for Europe. There can be a undercurrent of people who turn out on the day you know causing trouble even at, at, at clubs where where I think the the, uh, the fans are well behaved like Liverpool you know they've had a couple of incidents where people have come along and done this and done that so you know I, I'm quite happy going to Peterborough next season or whoever it is Yeah well I like to behave myself Paul because uh, especially in Istanbul when we played Feyenoord uh, not Feyenoord um, Fenerbahce yeah. that was and I, that was a stadium I always wanted to go to I always yeah. wanted it, and it was absolutely brilliant they had been three groups of ultras the noise they created one would yeah. stop singing one would start I was told all these bad things about it and I, I have nothing but good things to say about Istanbul and people and how we were looked after so you know, until you experience it yourself, you can't, well, yeah. you, you, your, your opinion can change. But yeah. anyway, Paul, right? Yeah, I said, again. right? I said on the intro that you've never hidden behind the door with your views, even though you're in the spotlight. You're always honest, and um, you've stayed true to your values. And fame and fortune hasn't changed you. You play benefit gigs, and you've always been known to put your hand in your own pocket to pay off workers who've lost their jobs. But you didn't. You don't put this out in the public domain. It's it, it's other people, and I see similarities between Paul Heaton and Celtic because our friend and father, brother Warford, he formed the club to feed the poor in the East End of Glasgow, and you continue to help people who maybe are not as well off as you. Yeah, well, I try. I don't know much about the history of of Celtic, um, and I, I have no idea of the person you're comparing me to, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, particularly at the moment, it, it spe- you spend a lot of time. I don't live in a community separate from anybody else, if you know what I mean. You know, I don't live, I've got a backyard, um, not a back garden, although I do have enough room for sunflowers and st- stuff like that. But, so I don't live in uh, in luxury. And so I don't separate myself from society's problems. And therefore, I feel as though I'm over- overpaid. Um, as you know, I, I, or I, I should I, I should say, 
I'm in a situation where as a worker, I get paid much more than other workers get because I'm still the worker in the relationship with the, um, you know, with the record company. So any chance I have, any time I see anything going on locally or, or, or nationally that I think needs a bit of help, I do try and um, help out with it. But uh, I do try and keep it, keep it quiet when I can. So I get embarrassed about talking about it too much. Uh, but, yeah. I think, you know, it seems quite, it feels quite natural to me. I, I think as soon as you, there was a situation, there's been a few situations in the, in the past uh, with Beautiful South and with House Mountains, things like that, where we've had people come in and say, oh, you should do this with your money, you should do that with money. And I was also very, always, and I would admit that, yes, we talked earlier, fame did affect me. But one thing I was really, really determined not to do or not to let happen is let money affect me because when you start behaving when money starts controlling you that gets to to me a really dangerous point because it can it can affect your attitude towards everything and everybody you know you can build a bigger house and put your walls further higher you know and and remove yourself want a bigger car so you're above everybody on the road if you let money control you that's the danger. And that's, I think, what my dad taught me more than anything. He said to me at the start of the house meetings, when they started becoming friends, he said, what they'll do, and, and everything he said in that conversation was absolutely true. He said, what they'll do is, you'll, after this hit, they'll try and uh, say, um, oh, we need to add more dates. I said, Dad, I need to go home. He said, yeah, you do need to go home. And what, what, when you say you need to go home, they'll offer you more money for the dates turn down the money and say you've got to get home so i turned down the money he said yeah if you turn down the money and say you've got to go home what they'll do is they'll offer you a driver or a helicopter to get you back in time for football saturday morning and what they'll do is your time at home is bought until it goes down and down and down and you can sell that last weekend for twenty thousand pounds but you've lost all the other weekends and the rest of the calendar because you've sold yourself off and he said, don't let that happen. As soon as they start saying, we'll buy your time off you, that's time to put your foot down. And he, I've never, you know, he wasn't a particularly wise man. He was a clever man, but uh, everything he said was true. Every, they tried to say, you know, and, and that gave me the argument against the record company. I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to take my time. I'll have a couple of months off. I need to do this. I need to write the lyrics, not months off, but, you know, to write the lyrics and write, the, if you want a, good second album so I, I did I sat at home and I wrote Build and Me and the Farmer and all that sort of stuff and then we had a breathe and went ready to go again but it, yeah it was right and, and that's what I think is the most controlling factor uh, above fame is money you know for me uh, you know because I am like Pete Houghton and again you'll have to excuse me for this anecdote but we're both discovered by John Peel right and what you did as a John Peel uh, band is me and Pete, quite separately, formed a band saying, oh, come on, let's learn some instruments. And the, the short-term uh, goal was to uh, get a gig. And then after that, if you got a gig, hey, maybe we could get two gigs. And then, you know what, a little mini tour. And guess what? I'm gonna get, I've got a mate, his mate, Carl, Carl Hunter. He can make some cassettes up and we'll sell the cassettes on the tour. And you never guess what? We might then have... 
enough money to make a proper recording. And you never guess what, after that, we might uh, have a chance to get on telly. And guess what, after that, you'll never guess we might actually be on telly and people will recognise that. And guess what, we might actually become famous, right? That was right at the end of the process. But nobody really got as far as talking to that. The, the opposite is true of people these, these days. They start off, I want to be famous, right? And then they say, oh, yeah, we're going to have to make you a video. And then we're going to have to write you some songs. And then you're going to have to do some gigs. And then they work all the way back to, actually, I need to learn an instrument because I don't haven't got any contribution to anything. So it, we came from that thing where we didn't want to be famous. We just formed a band to sort of get on John Peel maybe at the very most. That was the, you know, like, and so that hundreds of bands came from that thing where money wasn't the motivator and neither was fame. So that's where I still feel now. I feel as though I, I'm a songwriter, you know, and I only ever wanted to become professional, but I wanted to become professional for all my life. When uh, the House Martins got signed by Go Discs, the biggest thing in our contract, and they were saying, why don't you want an advance of 150000 I said, I've just been on the dole for two years. Do you know what I mean? I don't want a load of money. I want a wage. And they put all of us on a wage, and that wage lasted for four years. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to be paid professionally. And that was a big ambition and a great achievement for me. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny, you know, Paul, all the technology we have, this instant fame, you know, created by the likes of Big Brother and, and all these kind of celebrity programs with good-looking people with fit bodies go on them yeah. and, and, and they become famous. I was speaking to to a young lad and he was he, he was picked up the fans in. He's one of my son's mates and he picked up the fans and he's flicking through it. And I said, he said, he liked that. He says, I said, do you read, you know? And he says, not really, no, just social media. And I was telling him about fanzines and how I got involved with them in the 80s and, you know, so forth. And and I said, it was great. I said, because, you know, we never wouldn't had an opportunity to write. And all of a sudden we could produce our own stuff and the bands that I grew up with produced their demo tapes and we hired venues and we had gigs and whatever. Yeah. But now it seems to be if you have X amount of followers and X amount of likes on social media, that's yeah. judged by young people as... Because I hear my son saying, did you hear about this boxer? And i never heard of him, and I'm a big boxing fan, yeah. but he's actually a YouTube boxer. He's become famous on YouTube. Right. So he has people paying huge money to watch him boxing on YouTube, but he's basically an amateur boxer because he yeah. boxes another YouTube celebrity. That's and I just right. couldn't get my head around this, Paul, and I'm kind of going, fuck, is this the end game now for... There's kids going to school now and they, what, what would you like to be? I would like to be famous. Yeah. Like as you say, you know, you started here and you're doing it in sections to get, like, you know, selling your tapes and getting a record deal and all that. But now, do you, do you feel that like it's kind of gone a bit tits up because of this instant fame? Yeah, it has. Uh, I think it's dangerous as well because what they're promising is fame without any substance. So you do get suicides and you get, you know, um, terrible examples of people you know um starving themselves to death you know and uh it's a very extreme they're, they're putting this bubble straight away uh, we worked our way to get into the bubble i'm not saying you have to you know i've got no you know i don't think you have to go around and play all the gigs i played or or do all the traveling in the back of a shitty van you don't have to do that but what i do think they're doing is putting people straight in the bubble people who are perhaps you know eight to six years younger than I was. I was 24 when I when the happy hour got in the charts. So they're putting 18-year-olds in there, straight in, and the first thing they've seen is the television cameras. They come out and they're famous. 
and they've got no body of work at all. And this is the same with uh, a lot of the boy bands. And so what happens with people like that is they suddenly cover themselves in tattoos. I don't know if you noticed it, because they don't feel real. They get a tattoo and they start wearing a leather jacket or get photographed on a motorbike. Or, do you know what I mean? And it's all, so, oh, yeah, yeah, so-and-so, so-and-so. He's really serious now. And what it is, it's a, I see it as a cry for help. I see them, you know, that, oh, yeah, he's, he's been, I've seen him recently. He's got a guitar. He's a real serious musician. And I just think this is a massive cry for help. You're covering yourself with tattoos and getting a leather jacket because you're having a midlife crisis at the age of 21. Uh, because you, you feel as though unless you get these Instagram likes and this, this buzz back, it can become incredibly lonely. You sort of become a one-hit wonder, but by yourself. You know, if the House Martins had uh, just had happy hour, we could have dealt with it as, you know, there's four of us, four lads, and we would have carried on touring for a few years or whatever, you know, and that would have been that. But this is one person by themselves, come out by themselves, and suddenly, you know, they're all over the newspapers. And for what? You know, I'm again, I'm not anti the programmes. My kids, you know, they, they watch Love Island and all that stuff, you know. I don't stop and watch it. I know I can see you rolling your eyes there. I don't worry. I am the master of eye rolling. I've got a degree in it. And when I go in there and I see them all pumped up and posing by the pool, don't think I say, this This looks really interesting. What is it? I just roll the eyes and I'm out of the room and let, let them do what they want to do. And that, that's just the way they've been brought up. They just went to the local school and they do the things that other kids do. So uh, it, it is incredibly, uh, obviously a bit depressing, but it's incredibly dangerous, you know, following that as your, um, your guide, you know, like realise, tr- trying to think, well, I want to be famous. Uh, that's not a statement that should ever come out of anybody's mouth, in my opinion. Not if you're stable. If you're stable, you could say, I want to be famous for, you know, I want to be famous for dancing or I want to be a famous singer. I don't mind them saying that. Or I want to be a famous chess player or, you know, like, um, you know, I want to be on television. I want to be the psychiatrist who deals with people's problems. You know, there's no problem with wanting to be the best or the most famous at what you're doing. But just to say I want to be famous is so vacuous, isn't it? It's yeah. just... It's just a bubble waiting to be popped. So uh, as much as uh, people of my age and younger people like yourself argue against it, it's there. What we're, what I think they have to do is facilitate for, uh, for the dangers of it and, and make sure these people are looked after. If that's what you want to watch and that's these are the people you're going to turn into superstars, make sure there's, uh, you know, there's proper... I think people have got a little bit better than... Uh, better now aren't they for facilitating for people's mental health as they come out of these things but i still do think there's there's always going to be problems involved in pure fame you know like just fame for fame's sake yeah and i just see in sort of today or yes in one of the newspapers uh, a, a, a young girl that had been one of the big brothers contestants yeah. she's 34 yeah. and she's passed away i think she had a, um i'm not 100 percent sure she may have had an eating disorder or something but yeah, she did there's a girl that has, you know, had this instant fame and at yeah. 24, the, the poor girl, it, it, you know, has passed away. And, and that kind of gets you, gets you thinking, maybe I'm just a little bit jealous when I see these lads with the six-pack stomachs because I'm heading for yeah. 50 and I'm overweight. And, yeah. you know, maybe I'm just a bit jealous that I can't go back. But I think, I think if I did go back, Paul, um, 
I'd probably prefer to be at a, a House Martins gig than watching Love Island because my teenage years were absolutely brilliant. Yeah. We've we, we done a pre-match show. I used to do a live thing in a pub before Celtic Games when, when we could travel and it was called Celtic AM and it was basically we got an ex-player maybe or someone who wrote a book or a musician and they would come in and do 15-minute interviews each, tell the story, we'd have a bit of music, a few points and then we'd go to the game. But I hadn't done it in a year because of, of the lockdown so I decided I'd do a virtual one and because I had no audience, I asked a couple of pals that go to games from different parts. I said, look, can you just give me a 20-second video of your favourite Scottish Cup moment? just so we have some audience participation. And everybody sent us stuff in. But one of the things, Paul, that came out was um, from, from lads a certain age and girls a certain age was the 1988 Scottish Cup final. And that was our centenary season. And on that day, Celtic fans gave Maggie Thatcher the red card because Maggie was the guest of honour. And uh, this was the highlight. They didn't talk about, they might have mentioned Frank McAvenny's goals, but this was the highlight for a lot of the fans that day. Now, you've never as I said, hidden behind the door. And mm. you have always been critical of the likes of Maggie Thatcher. So to see all these football fans giving her a red card, it, it, it's a great sight. Yeah, of course, yeah. I, I, and I've, I've been critical of most governments we've had since that year. You know, I, I, in fact, I've never, I didn't vote for Blair, not first time either. Uh, I could see right through that slippery little shit. But obviously... We've got Johnson now and Cameron before him. All the stuff today has come out uh, about Cameron. But, yeah, excellent. Um, uh, they call it choreographia in Italy, don't they? Uh, excellent choreography to give her the, the red card. Um, I think at the time, you know, most of the northern sides in England would have done something similar, um, I, I, I would hope. There used to be a lot of anti-Tory resentment in, in uh, the north, especially, as I say, around the miners' strike, uh, you know, Sheffield United fans still sing, you know, um, scabs to uh, forest fans. There was a lot of politics, a bit of right-wing politics, a bit of left-wing politics, but nothing like uh, what Celtic did. For th- Who were you playing that day? We played Dundee United in the final that day. Right, yeah. Kevin Gallagher scored, whose who's, who's father was, our grandfather was a famous Celtic player. Um, but yeah, but we've got we've got two ultra groups, as I said, with the boys in the Green Brigade and the quite, the quite left wing. And yeah. um, they get hammered whenever they bring out anything political or anything Irish. And when they've done the Palestinian display in solidarity when we played Beersheba, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's not okay to be, uh, to have politics involved in sport. And, but, we raised money and we gave it to Palestinian charities. And Pink yeah. Floyd used that as the backdrop of of the concerts. Um, or, or one of one of the Roger from from Pink Floyd. But since then, the powers that be in in FIFA and UEFA have come out and backed the Black Lives Movement. So all of a sudden, it's yeah. okay for politics to be involved in football when it suits them, Paul. But when it's a group yeah. of ultras or a group of fans showing that they, they don't want to be part, they don't agree with something or they want to support something yeah. that may not be, you know, to the Sun's likings or the Daily Record's likings. You know, there's, well, a camp- there's a campaign built against them. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, like, they're incredibly hypocritical. I mean, this <laughs> this weekend, it's been kick racism back into football, hasn't it? <laughs> a minute of silence for Duke of Edinburgh. That's that's all I thought when I seen that sign. You know, all these people saying the game's gone. I was just like looking at them lot. That that's the game gone, in my opinion. 
Do you know what I mean? Silence for him. What's he got to do with football? Nothing. But anyway, football's become a minute silence. I mean, they're only going to have about 10 minutes each way these days. Uh, anybody who, who, who drops off, anybody connected to any club, there's a minute silence. So I don't understand that. But I was, yeah, I was particularly upset with the reaction you got for what can only be described as um, a bit of political ban- banter when you put the Mussolini, <laughs> the Mussolini thing up. I thought that was brilliant. You know, like, uh, and there's nothing, there was, <laughs> it's just a bit of playful prodding, isn't it? <laughs> That's all. Um, but I think if they're going to come through the streets of Glasgow, Zeke Highland, do you know what I mean? Yeah. What, how, how else are a group of um, left-wing supporters supposed to react to that? What a perfect way, I mean, apart from, you know, the physical attacks that could or should take place having Nazis in your street, but what, if if you're not going to be violent, what better way to stick it to them? I didn't see the problem with that at all. In fact, the the biggest surprise to me was that anybody from FIFA or UEFA even got it. Do you know what I mean? They're that slow and that stupid. Um, that I, I'm amazed they got it. But it's funny, Paul, when you say like you know when when you, when you get fans marching through through streets and you know we've played a couple of clubs that well, we play one quite regularly that would have right wing a, a far right wing element and um, I always remember I was going over to see Sally play Palmer in a friendly pre-season mm. friendly I was going over for something else because uh, Nick Griffin was was speaking in Glasgow that day right? and I said you know what I'm going to make a day out of this I'm going to go over protest buy some new records some CDs because I'm not staying overnight and I, I don't need a bike I don't have to pay for a bike with, with, with Ryanair and then I'm going to go to game yeah. And I, I was disappointed when I got there to find out that Nick Griffin didn't show up and yeah. a handful showed up. But it was a lot of guys that go to football with their protesting. So, you know, I, I get pissed off when people say, you know, oh, don't bring politics in, in, into sport or into football. But you have to bring it in because they're, they're, they're so linked. If we didn't, like, we had a rugby team in Ireland that went to South Africa, you know. I've heard yeah. you before saying about, you know, Thatcher called Nelson Mandela a terrorist. Like yeah, yeah. Like it's just it just seems that you know like some of the classes, the ruling classes, think you know they can pick and choose when politics is involved in sport. Yeah, Sebastian Coe is a good example. Sebastian Coe is constantly harping about keeping it out, but he wouldn't go to Moscow in 1980. You know, he refused to go initially, saying you know he couldn't support the regime and all that sort of stuff. So it, it, it's an intrinsic part of the terraces, right down to. I mean, I I, I think the the biggest issue of politics to do with uh, football is even the pricing of football. That's a political issue. We understand as football supporters of both the left, the right and the centre that there's people, you know, milking off money. It might be the politics of uh, there being too much uh, money from television and too much control by television, altering people's fixture lists, for example, and moving a game to a stupid Monday night. Or it might be the fact that you feel that the chairman who runs your club is taking out that amount of money. So it's, there's all these political debates going on all the time about, um, and as I said, from all, all angles, and not, I don't think it always follows that um, right-wing people come out with right-wing stuff to do with their own club. Um, that doesn't always happen at all. In fact, they can be quite political and quite incisive when it when they see the way their club is being run. So, people, are t- politics is part of the way the game is run. From uh, taking the knee 
to somebody taking a bribe. Do you know what I mean? From somebody being overpaid or to somebody being underpaid. You know, like the whole game is riddled with different arguments. You know, you know, even VAR, even to me, like the rules that Platini brought in about um, the tackle from behind, you know, that was to protect footballers. You know, that's a, an issue. Do footballers need protection or are they getting too much protection? It's all, it's all to be debated. They wouldn't have all these sports channels if, if they had to just sit and talk about football. They talk about the ins and outs, the politics and the business all day long. We've had it in Sheffield United. We've got a member of an unelected royal family, you know, Saudi Arabian royal family, coming on Sky Television and slagging our recently departed manager off. This is a person who's never, uh, he's not a businessman. He's, he's been born into money. He's got no experience of running a, a, a side. You have to get political about that, you know. And then if you, if you don't understand that somebody who runs, a, you know, some, a member of a royal family running your side, whether they be from Britain or Saudi Arabia, you've got to be uh, you've got to be pretty close to any way of, uh, of thinking, really. But I think I'm, I'm careful. I, rub, I don't rub people up. Try not to rub people up the other way, particularly when I'm conversing on social media, because social media is it's like a toilet wall, isn't it? You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. But I think also, particularly when you were travelling around Britain in the seventies, you used to see people putting racist graffiti, sexist, homophobic, you know, graffiti everywhere. Those people have now got a computer, right, and they're on the screen. And if you put uh, Celtic FC and they rub it off and put uh, Dundee FC, that's the equivalent of the argument you're having. You rub it off and say, no, no, actually it's this. And it's too fast and it's not a good place for debate, I don't think. Not quick debate. I don't. I think it's a mistake to get into a, uh, a political argument on there. Personally, I try and tone things down because I don't want to be one of these people who's just trying to get one up on people. I want the argument to be uh, a sensible one and one that I can, uh, I don't want to just say, oh, you're wrong for saying that. I won't call out anybody for saying the wrong thing. I try not to, not these days. Uh, but, I, you know, obviously I've got to keep some uh, my views. I don't agree with people, but, yeah, there's a lot of ignorance as well. And the ignorance has come out about the... Um, the whole thing about um, lockdown has brought out uh, a different set of ideas as well and conspiracy theories and people looking for uh, for different arguments. Uh, look at trying to – it amazes me, people trying to divide and rule so simply, you know, like trying to divide us over masks and over lockdown, saying, oh, yeah, but you shouldn't be wearing this and you should be wearing that. And, you know, I, I, yeah, I've had the first part of my vaccination. I've had – I've been wearing a mask. I've been careful. I've also had coronavirus, and uh, but I'm not going to go telling people you got to do this, you got to do that, because it's Boris Johnson absolutely loves that division in working class. Absolutely loves it. If he can have a two lots of uh, marches, you know, one in London on a Saturday and one in London on a Sunday, where they're getting angry, one are getting angry in favour of masks, and the other getting angry against masks. He's got 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 us absolutely there. You know, when these people go on social media and say this and that, you're stupid, you're sheep, you're, it's so divisive, you know. My, my my thing is with the government regardless, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny you should bring that up. We have, we've had a disaster over here in Ireland with the vaccine, um, with the EU, because 
my mum and dad are in their 80s and they've just recently got their second injection. My mum and my, my father and mother-in-law are in the 70s and they haven't had the first injection yet. So right. the teachers who are who are back walking now from today, all the schools are back open. They, they're saying they want to be vaccinated. The police officers are saying they want to be vaccinated. The childcare workers are saying they want to be vaccinated. And they've all got good cases. But yeah. what's happening now is go on to social media or you go on to a debate on the TV and they're all, all the workers are fighting each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When the problem is, when they should be, they should be aiming their anger yeah. at the failed politicians who, have, who throughout Europe who have yeah. failed to get vaccines for the people or failed yeah. to lock down. We are now locking down in this country, Paul. We have the longest lockdown in Europe. But they've just decided recently that they're going to quarantine people coming into our airports, you know, yeah. a year down the road. Yeah, and it's, like, it's just so frustrating that um, that now we have teachers arguing with guards and guards arguing with childcare yeah. workers. And, and it's, it's, it's disappointing. But again, it takes the attention off the government. Yeah, on a, on a sort of much lesser point, I noticed it right start of lockdown. I went out on my bicycle and the anger on the road towards me as a cyclist was had gone right, you know, 10 times worse. And somebody made a comment against cyclists. I just said, look, you know, I've gone out on this cycle and they were just attacking me. This is on a, an account where they don't know where I am, by the way, because I've got a, a public one and another one. And I just said, why are you attacking? Or were you not allowed to, we're not allowed to play golf. I said, well, look, I really want you to be able to play golf. It makes a lot of sense you being able to play golf. You go out by yourself, you're at yards and people. I read, oh, right, I didn't realise that. I thought you were against us. I was like, did, so they were trying to find a, a, a fight between a golfer and a cyclist. You know, like he was angry because the cyclist could cycle, assuming that the cyclist was flicking the Vs up at him, saying, I can cycle, you can't do golf. I actually, it took me turn, turning around to say to him and saying, I want you to be able to play golf. And he's, oh, really? China? And so it, this, during a lockdown, during any crisis, the working class, I'm not saying golf is a working class, but, you know, working people are so easy to divide because there's, there's this, uh, my mum used to call it, um, was it Mrs. Jones's Sausages? There's all this, uh, she said, during the war, right, there was all these rumours, instead of everybody being united, there was always these rumours do you know so-and-so, she's getting more sausages than us, right? It's because she's shagging the butcher, right? You know that? Mrs. Jones is getting bigger packs of sausages or bigger packs of pork or whatever. And she said, that's exactly what's happening now. You know, people are saying, never mind what I've got. Yeah, I've got that there, you know. And it's it's not a good time, is it, lockdown? Because people get really, really angry over small things, you yeah. know, and really uh, willing to believe anything, you know. And we, as we've seen with certain people, they'll believe anything that's on, on YouTube. People need to get back in the pub because in the pub, if you said it, people would say, shut up, you daft idiot. You know what I mean? They just say, shut up, sit down. That's why you need the pub, don't you? Because you've got all these different people saying a load of crap. And when you do say a load of crap, you're quite rightly taking the piss out of for the rest of the month. So that instead of people being sat in front of the computer, say, oh, it's right, isn't it? It's right. They need, people need people, don't they? To yeah. converse with. But it's yeah. funny you should say that because I've been saying that all season because you like I, I had to stop going on social media after games because I was the angle on, on social media. Like you're pissed yeah. off enough if your team doesn't play well or they lose. Yeah. But 
we had the pub to go to or the bus yeah, to get yeah. back on. Yeah. And there would always be an old guy, and, you know, especially on the bus. If it was a young lad who was complaining about something, he would tell him about the bad yeah, times. Yeah. And then, but when you're in the pub with your mates, it's good to argue with your mates because it's not going to go any further. But if you're yeah, arguing yeah. with complete strangers, you know, like, That's right. like you don't know who yeah. they are. And it, like, I have an account for fanzine and I have an account for myself, but everyone yeah. knows it's me and behind the fanzine. But at yeah. the same time, like I've had people, but I've got a great thing on social media. I can ban and I can block. I'm not getting in the debate. You know, I get, yeah. I get fans of other teams, you know, coming on and giving me a bit of grief. I'll just delete the comment and block them. I'm not getting in the debate with them, Paul. Maybe if I was in the pub, I might get in the debate with them. Although yeah, exactly. the last time I got in the debate in the pub was in Wales. And it was actually with Bowles and Wrexham fans. And, yeah. and uh, that was a sore debate, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I was after the Earl at Wales game. I'm too old for all that now, Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul, um, I have a time machine, okay? And I always ask my guests to jump into the time machine. So you've obviously had a had a, had a great life. Um, and <clears> I, normally, I normally ask to take me back to a game, a gig, or a moment in their life. But because yeah. it's you... Take us back to a gig, Paul. What gig? Is there a gig that stands out for Paul Heaton? You mean a gig of somebody else's or, or one of mine? No, one of yours. But well, um, do both, do both. Uh, I remember being taken to Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons by my mum when I was 17. And that was incredible. That was the atmosphere. And, and it was just in a tiny hole. They, they'd not had that sort of re, reboot of their career. It was in Lewisham Town Hall in South London, uh, and it was amazing. Just wooden seats and Frankie Valley running up and down the, the aisles. That was just amazing. For myself, probably a really good one or a bad one. There was, there, there was a bad one in um, a place called Deventer in Holland, and we had no... <laughs> Actually, no, there's a worse one. We're, we're the there was one in Kings Lynn. Kings Lynn or Norwich, you know, like over that way. and. Uh, we got to the venue and there was a poster outside with just a question mark on it, <laughs> which was just like, what's happening? And we said to the promoter, why don't you put our name up? And he said, oh, I thought that would get more people. So when we got into the venue and came on stage, he just filled the whole venue with um, dry ice, you know, with smoke. But as the dry ice settled down, it went down and there was just two people in there. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, just silly things like that. It makes you realise if there's nobody there and you still do the gig, there's there's something about it that you you. It's weird to explain, but you know something's going to happen. You you feel as though if you're able to do that, play in front of nobody, you're able to do everything. You know, absolutely everything. You probably the other one was when the House Martin supported Madness at Hammersmith Odeon, and we were just giving it through a, a friend of a friend sort of thing. And nobody knew us. And we were so nervous. We'd never played anywhere like that. And uh, I just went on stage and I sort of just went into I wasn't normally like that. I just went into overdrive and just started shouting at the audience, going, come on, you know, you love us. <laughs> and it went down quite well. So, And obviously the island ones, the first time we played in Belfast, first time we played in Dublin. A couple of other little ones, Kalani, when we played with the Beautiful South in 2005 or six, that was really good to go down there. Um, and yes, yeah, some of the American ones were very funny. Yeah, these are, they've all been funny and good in a different way, you know. Yeah, well, if 
if I can chime in, Paul, to that time machine with you, I definitely go back to the SFX because that was yeah. the first gig I was at, proper gig. I'd seen the Century Steel band in in school, um, right. and uh, I. My mates were in a ska band, Trenchdown, so I'd seen them. But to go to see the House Martins was like it was it was a big deal, and and it was kind of scary at the same time because where the SFX is, yeah, not in a city in Dublin, and it's you know first time open, brilliant. But um, I'd also have to go back to a little gig you done out the road from me in a little pub in Slane. Oh and yeah, was, yeah. When there was seventy people at the gig, that's right. Yeah, and how I got the tickets was uh, that was a hush hush gig. Boils, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, it was a hush hush gig. No one knew about it. But yeah. I was in a taxi with my son Connor. He was it's, it's a good few years ago because he was only, he was still coming to the football with me, and yeah. we were in a taxi going to the League Cup final in Glasgow. Right. And I got a phone call from Anton Judge, who's a musician, and he says, "You're not going to believe this." He says, "I done a gig last night in Boils the Slane." And after the gig, we were packing up and the owner come over and he says, uh, or the landlord, and he says, you never guess who I have, but it's hush, hush, you know. He said, I've got Paul Heaton. And he was yeah. going, all oh, right, right. He says, no, don't tell anyone. So the, he, he knows I'm a bit of a fan, so he rings me. Yeah. So I had to ring a mate, Hilly, who wasn't over at the game, who normally goes to the game with me. So this was a stroke of faith. And I says, look, after the game, you need to get over the boils and slain. So he managed to get four tickets. So myself, right. Sandra, Hilly and Orla went, went to the gig and we right. were sitting, like we were in early power, we were sitting, we had our feet on the stage. Right. And uh, it was, I remember the gig so well. I remember you finished with um, Clash Number, I think. It was just, it was That's just right. bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. if I went back, Paul, I wouldn't tell anyone the gig either, but I'd make sure all my mates that I go on the bus to see Paul Heaton when it's a big gig, I'd make sure they were with me because, yeah. you know, we go as a group and, We'd only four tickets, and to have to say to the others, "Look, we've not tickets." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, it was, it was just amazing. And for your encore, you know, you went off and stood in the corner. Yeah, yeah, he was a really nice, nice lad. The bloke who ran the pub. He just sent me an email and just said, "Look, you fancy doing it?" And then, like a couple of years later, I started doing the cycling gigs. And actually, uh, in 2012, I cycled well all the way around England, Wales, Scotland, and Ireland. And again, I played. Tiny little places played in uh, Kinvara. Is it Kinvara over on the west coast? And um, yeah, tiny places. Played a little bar in Wexford and uh, yeah, yeah, everywhere. But yeah, I, I, I've enjoyed it all, really. You know, enjoyed it all. It's all been good. Well, there, there too, that stick out. But I, I was, I was. I was telling Sandra because she's been on the, you know, the, she's been at all the gigs with me over the years, and that's that's my wife. When the beautiful set had, had come out, I think it was the first album, Paul. I think it's played the Point Apple, which was right. a big step up from the House Martins, like you know, because yeah. you were still playing like the Olympias, the SFXs. But the last bus to draw it was eleven o'clock then, and we were thinking we might have to leave the gig early because it's it's a bit of a walk into the bus station. So we said <clears> Look, we, we'll get a B and B in Gardner Street. And Gardner Street is is a bit of a, as as Peter said when they stayed in Gardner Street when they supported Jersey said it was it was the war, they stayed in a lot of flea pits but this was the worst flea pit but we right. stayed in we stayed in the Nook Market bed and breakfast right. and when we got into the room the lock was broken so oh. he says we says that um, we went back down to the reception and we says um, look the, the lock's broken on the room and this is well we've no rooms left we've only got rooms that are ten quid more. Right, and we were going oh, ten quid, you know. He didn't really have that, but eventually, I think we got the ex. We gave him a five, and he gave us the extra room. So after the gig, you know, we'd had a good few drinks. We went back into the room, 
and Sandra was making a cup of tea and there was no milk. Right. So I said, so why don't you pop down to the room with the broken lock and get the milk there? Because she had the tea. Right. So she pops down and she's gone a couple of minutes, comes back up to the room and she goes, she comes in and she's, she's kind of speechless. And I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she says, I've gone into the room. I've turned the light on. I've walked straight over. I've got the little milks and I've turned around and there's a couple naked Oh, making love on the bed, you know, and I, and I, and I says, well, "What did you say?" She says, oh, "Just, just come in to get the milk." <laughs> she disappeared. So that, that that's all fun memory of of a beautiful South gig in in Dublin. And we were just chatting about it today, actually. Um, Paul, before I let you go, I just want to ask a quick question about the pub in Salford. What was the yeah. story? Um, it was yeah, it was it was a pub I was rehearsing at upstairs, um, and the the owners were, they'd let it go to, you know, they'd let it go really. And uh, they were going to sell it to somebody, kind of like a Weatherspoons type thing, and it really wasn't that sort of place. So I sort of put together a rescue package and took it on for probably about two and a half years, three years, until I could find somebody I trusted to buy it off me. So I got one of the bar staff to sort of gradually buy it off me over a period of, years a couple of years so i sold it uh probably about five years ago uh and up until the um the lockdown they were doing very well out of it they got all the music back up so i don't i didn't have it for very long but um yeah it was it was a good little pub so it was a case that we didn't want it to go to the likes of witherspoons yeah it was more that yeah i can't remember if it was them or somebody was going to turn it into flats i can't remember i think it was more the, the landlord was pressurising the people who owned it into turning it into flats. They didn't want to get into an argument with the landlord and I sort of took it over and then managed to sort of eke out a package where we kept it open. So it's still open now, that's the main thing. Did you did you write a song about that? No. Because there was just lyrics in it, I can't think of the song, but there's lyrics in it about the old boys in the pub playing dominoes and that, and I thought maybe that oh, was something right. to do it. Well, yeah, that was probably one of the other pubs I visited. Possibly. Paul, um, yeah. I, I know you don't do podcasts, so I feel honoured to have you on the show. Um, it's been it's been brilliant. You've been so honest and so what I, expe- what I expected. Um, so you didn't come on and bear your Celtic soul, but you bared your, your soul to us, and it was lovely to get a bit of an insight into this amazing career and how normal you still are. Well, cheers. Andrew. Thank you very much. Yeah, hope you have a good season next season. Oh, hopefully. Yeah. Thanks very much to Paul for taking the time and recording the podcast with me. It's been an honour to have him on the podcast. A wonderful man. And we look forward to catching Paul, Jackie and the band when they come to Dublin. And I'm sure once any gig happens, we'll absolutely be delighted. Whatever your taste in music is, just to get back out, whether it's in a small pub or a big arena or a festival, it's going to be magic. Well, folks, I have to admit, I was a bit deflated after last Sunday's game and I haven't really been doing much on the fanzine this week. I only got stuck back into it at the end of the week, so apologies if it's a little late coming out to all our subscribers. You can still buy a copy of issue 114, the print edition or the digital edition, visiting CelticFanzine.com. As always, I would like to thank Ronan McQuillan for producing the show, a wonderful job he does too. And also a shout out to Daniel for doing our stuff on YouTube. Talk of the Terraces and the Celtic AMs have gone down really well and we've also put them out as a podcast now. So 
Thanks for listening to all the content. And thanks for reading our stuff on the website and for downloading the app. Don't forget, if you want to support us, you can become a member, subscribe, buy, or donate for a price of a pint. And I want to thank everyone who donated after the first Paul Heaton interview. There was a really good response. Maybe it's Paul. So thank you, Paul, for your help in getting people into listening to the podcast. I think we offer something a little different than maybe other football podcasts. And thanks again to this episode's sponsor, Odd Molly's Andrada. Really, really looking forward to those long summer nights in the beer garden. And you wouldn't know how Roland might be playing. As I said, folks, the website, don't forget to visit us for articles and news. And you'll also get David Potter's weekend long read. You can sign up for our newsletter and you can check out our bonus podcasts and podcast shots. As I said, please download the app. It's free and you'll have access to all the podcast articles, daily news, video, info on upcoming events, the fanzine and our online shop, all at the touch of a button on your phone or tablet. And what better way to be sitting out now for those allowed to go back to the beer gardens in Glasgow on Monday than flicking through our news or listening to the podcast or having a look at us on YouTube. All episodes of the podcast are available across all, all platforms, so hit the subscribe or follow button and you'll never miss an episode. And as always, leave a five-star review. The YouTube channel Celtic Fanzine TV is up and running now with Celtic AM and the Talk from the Terraces. On social media, you'll find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And all the details will be in the podcast description. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club like the podcast and would like to become a sponsor, please email us at info at and you can also contact us through the website or message us on social media. Folks, if you enjoyed the podcast, can I suggest listen to Peter Hooten from The Farm? We've done a two-parter with Peter. I think you'll love it. Paul spoke there a little bit Maradona. We had Mimo Rossi on the podcast when Maradona passed away. And Mimo from Naples, a Napoli fan living in Glasgow. So nice to get his view. And also on that podcast, we had the Debenhams Walkers who are still on strike. So folks, we've no game this weekend. And hopefully the sun will stay out for us. And we can have a few beers in the back garden maybe. Listen to a few tunes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us. Stay safe, folks. Keep the faith. And this week, we play out once again with Paul Heaton and Jackie Abba with Blackwater Banks. It wasn't the ferry to Dublin Arrival last on your shore wasn't the shamrock waiting on each pint of Guinness you pour? It was sooner and Anna Kilkenny, it was Seamus and Patrick and Cole, it was Calm and Limerick, Aoife and Galway, and the folk of the silent for sure, and the folk of the silent for sure. Never in briefcases, never in suits Of New York or London or Paris, no things But down by the Blackwater Banks It wasn't the pride of East Belfast 
With its red, white and blue to the floor It wasn't the cause from Divis to Falls Of no, they never know It was Barry and James up in Derry As we finally headed back east And reluctantly boarded our ferry Each time you felt closer to peace Each time you felt closer to peace Oh, island, oh, island No wonder my roots were never in Is never in suits of New York or London or Paris, no friends. But down by the black water banks, I've pedaled from Lawn down to Wexford. Fire Ross, Common Garway and Clare And Tipperary so far Cause every damn bar Is pulling and diverting you there It was Tully's in Kilvaro Murphy's in Tallistown And Care, the old Ponce's West In Ireland you mention you're leaving And the likelihood seems to get less Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry shampoo, Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.